Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. Today, FA Cup fourth round madness. From Norwich at Burnley's Turf Moor Fortress to Man United at Tranmere's Turfless Ground with the hugest performance on a bog since Mylar Sudoku to Liverpool getting Sloppy in Shropshire and Cumdog getting a Sloppy second. We round up all the news from a dramatic weekend of cup action. We'll be looking forward to League Cup semi-finals too and much, much more besides in this edition of the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Yeah, morning listener. Rub the sleep out of your eyes with a little bit of FA Cup fourth round magic, courtesy of our very special guest today, Daniel Story from Football 365 and The Eye. Good morning. Good morning, Daniel. Tom Williams is in out of ESPN and Orthodom with Do You Speak Football? Good morning, James. Good morning, Tom. And from Match of the Day and Chelsea TV, Matt Davis Adams. Hello. Hello to you. Well, we're just sitting at the fat end of the uh, of the FA Cup fourth round weekend, although there is still Bournemouth Arsenal to play. But for anyone who missed out on any of the action, care to sum it up for them, Tom? Well, we were bemoaning the fact that it had been quite a dreary fourth round weekend, and I think that was something that was probably anticipated once the draw was made, because there weren't any really juicy ties. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Shrewsbury Town produced this sensational second-half fight-back against Liverpool, take them to a replay. There's a pitch invasion, there are novelty wigs, there are tinfoil FA Cups being held aloft by ruddy-faced children. Kids Um, in parkers. Kids in parkers and all that sort of slightly watered-down Ronnie Radford vibe. Uh, And the magic of the cup turns out it's alive and well after all. It really was quite special, wasn't it? Yeah, it was unexpected, really, unless you're Ian Wright, who <laughs> predicted exactly that at half-time on, on the BBC. But yeah, it was um, it was an odd performance from Liverpool because they were absolutely coasting thanks to Donald Love in a hopeless place being mm. the back post where he <laughs> stabbed in a second goal for Liverpool. And then, yeah, they just allowed Shrewsbury to sort of walk all over them they were trying to pass it out from the back and yeah it was just poor mm. we'll come on to that game mm. in all its splendor a little bit more fully shortly but among the other stories you, you also had oxford united added again uh taking newcastle this time to a replay uh you had jesse lingard scoring a goal man mm, yeah quite a nice goal too and man united with a pretty extraordinary six nil win Away at Tramway Rovers. Quite a banter game, that one, wasn't it, in terms of goal scoring, certainly. Mm. Phil Jones, looping header. <laughs> Slavin Bilic went back to West Ham and bested them with his baggies. There's no cup run for Millwall this season, thanks to Sheffield United. Pompey, bit of a giant killing this. Saw off Barnsley from the division above. 4-2. And a bunch of sides are heading for replays. There are six in all that are going to have to be scheduled. Bournemouth Arsenal is on Monday. Tom, you're going along to that, and that will be straight after the draw. What's your favourite goal of the weekend, Matt? Favourite goal of the weekend? Um, I, Jesse Lingard's was 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 good, just because I feel a bit sorry for him, which is probably not great, but for the reasons that uh, Carl was explaining a couple of weeks ago, pleased to see him do well. But the West Brom goal was probably the best in terms yeah. of quality for for a defender who'd never scored for the club before. Were that it not for the deflection, impressive. I think you, you, there'd be a case for Harry Maguire's. And I did like Bernardo Silva's against Fulham. Yeah, that that loses a bit of credit for being such a low wattage fixture in result. I think I think the the West Brom that it, that it meant that a scalp was taken probably means that's just about number one. All right then, game one for us is very much Sunday night's thriller in Salopsville. 
It's Cummings. Cummings with another chance. He's done it again. Jason Cummings, Shrewsbury Town superstar. Yep, the second Cummings. Extraordinary uh, climax, scoring-wise, of this uh, clash between Shrewsbury and Liverpool. Although, you know, the, the Shrews had a bit of a shout for a handball penalty straight after this. But let, let's take it back to, to the start, because this was a game that I don't think many people thought Shrewsbury had much chance in. And the way that the, the early scoring went, it, it appeared to confirm that. Yeah, I mean, we saw what Liverpool's reserves did to Everton in the previous round. And you think, well, if they can do that against their biggest rivals, you've got their full-strength team out. What are they going to do against a mid-table team from League One? Um, went ahead in the 15th minute. Curtis Jones, match winner against Everton, on target again. Um, but having said that, Shrewsbury made chances in, in the first half. Sean Wally got in a few times, and I think two or three times, and, and, and wasn't able to do anything with it. And we thought that's the sort of classic little team spurning chances, and they'll right. sort of kick themselves later on. As you as you quipped at the time, I think, Matt, Liverpool defenders asking, where's Wally? Mm-hmm, yeah. So easily did he slip past them. Yeah, and you think if Jason Cummings had been on in the first half, maybe Liverpool would be out of the FA Cup right now because he was um, clinical, certainly with the second chance. Nicely taken penalty, but his um, his goal from open play was really well taken. Right. But back in the first half, so they've spurned their chances. Second half gets underway and you think, well, they need to... It's all about who scores the next goal. Shrewsbury do, but in their own net. Yeah, 28 seconds in. Uh, cross comes in from young Welshman Nico Williams on the right and Donald Love with a really composed uh, volleyed finish at, yeah. at the back Arguably post. that was goal of the round actually, mm. wasn't it? <laughs> And you thought, oh, what a shame, you know, Shrewsbury Town, having put up a decent fist of it in the first half, have now shot themselves in the foot right at the start of the second, and that'll be that. But to their credit, and again, without, you know, trying to patronise them at all, they, they had a proper go, um, and, and Liverpool did look increasingly uncomfortable. Right, and increasingly a Liverpool first-team side as well. Salah coming on, Fabinho was on anyway, uh, who else was on? Firmino was on, mm, Yeah. Oxlade-Chamberlain. Meanwhile, though... Coming on for Shrewsbury mm. was a certain cum dog millionaire. <laughs> Tell yeah. us all about now. Well, you, you and Matt were tremendously excited when Jason Cummings came on. I think those are the yeah, right words. I, yeah. He's um, he's what we should refer to as a character. He's an interesting personality, Jason Cummings. Um, Tom Pope, two Wally's on the pitch would be a good yeah. way of, of putting it. Maybe. Tom Pope in the last round. Um, managed to sort of make a name for himself that then got quickly extinguished through his own actions. It would not be entirely surprising if Jason Cummings went down the same route, but... Because you did had him at, at Forest. I'd never heard of Jason Cummings. In the space of a minute, Matt and Dan made him sound like one of the worst human beings <laughs> who's ever lived. I mean, this had, is not baseless. You know, if you, if you, if you search Jason Cummings, um, you'll see some rather unpleasant stuff uh, in his not-too-distant past. But, uh, I mean, not fair play to the nickname. Yes, I mean, the, the nickname is absolutely revolting and it was a shame that his teammates said it on Sunday night BBC <laughs> television so that it's now out in the uh, in the populace. Um, Shrewsbury, by the way, haven't won a league game in 2020. It's not like this is a really in-form, high-flying team that Liverpool have played. They're 16th in League One. Their only win this year was in the previous round against Bristol City. So it really is quite a remarkable comeback from them. Only the fourth team to deny Liverpool victory in a domestic fixture all season. Correct. After Man United in the league, Arsenal and Villa in the League Cup. Arsenal, of course, who were beaten on penalties. So, so yes, I mean, obviously, with the caveat that it was only the reserves. But right. then, as I said before, we saw what the reserves did in the previous round. So, yeah, and we fantastic saw achievement. Some of the bigger names coming in there. Salah, who had a 
is something of a chance uh, to put Liverpool back ahead in the second half. Cummings, first of all, taking the penalty, taking it very, slotting it past Adrian very coolly, mm. and then a, an equally ice-cold finish uh, to uh, to give Shrewsbury the equaliser. Yeah, he does not want for confidence, it's fair to say. Uh, and to be fair, in that sort of situation, that's exactly what Shrewsbury needed because, as Tom said, uh, Wally in the first half looked a little bit cautious. All the shots looked like the players were taking them with the wrong foot, basically. They're sort of rolling them at Adrian rather than firing them. And yeah, fair play. He took the goal as well. He has this celebration where he puts his hand over his mouth, which is not an Too ideal risk. Uh, yeah, but he has a, a tattoo of a, a gurning mouth on his hand that he then puts over his mouth to... It's a bit like Pan's lab- Labyrinth, but with the mouth, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's something. Okay. It's something. He's, a, he's a pound shop Jamie Vardy, essentially. Crikey, yeah. you really don't like him. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Who else stood out from uh, these battling shrews? Jock uh, Lauren? Yeah, Lauren was, was named man of the match. What um, did he do to merit that? He ran at his defenders. He ran at um, Larucci, who gave away the penalty and looked a little bit uncertain, as is fair to do for a kid. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, this. You know, in the in the post-match interview, Sam Ricketts said, you know, we kind of had nothing to lose at two 0 and there is a freedom that comes with that that says, look, we're going out the cup here. Why don't we give it a go? I, coincidentally, I, I said on the show, I think last Thursday, that um, I was at their fourth round tie against Wolves last season when they were two 0 down after about the same time in the match and they came back and drew that 2-2 and got a replay and they played exactly the same way. They just thought, oh, actually, we can we can give this a go now and that's pretty powerful. What, what happened in the replay last time? Uh, they lost, uh, but away at Wolves, so, yeah. you know, no. And it wasn't a it wasn't a drubbing. What, what, what do you anticipate happening when they get back to Anfield? And when's that game going to be? Uh, it'll be held on the 5th of February and it will be Liverpool's reserves and Liverpool's academy manager in charge. So the club have now kind of made it official that they're going to essentially do what they did with the Villa game, which coincided with their trip to Qatar. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's appalling, really. Obviously, there was good reason to do it in the Club World Cup, but this seems poor form to yeah, me. I mean, it's, it's one thing not picking the players. He's allowed to pick whichever squad he wants, but the manager's saying he won't be there. His, his explanation is, well, all the senior players will be on a break, but um, he isn't on holidays. That seems remarkable that he won't be there. I understand he wants to give Neil Critchley this experience, but... To be honest, I'm surprised he's done that. It seems an unnecessary way of, and a very inflammatory way of right. of dealing with a competition, rather than pushing for change through negotiations. But doing it through action seems a bit from a PR poor. perspective. From the op- when Liverpool are having potentially the greatest season in their entire history, yeah. this will create so much bad blood. And as Daniel says, like it's one thing to to pick the kids, but to not even turn up in person for no good reason is, yeah, is also, pretty appalling. I mean, it's not like they're neck and neck with Man City. There's 16 points yeah. clear. There is a treble potentially out them for there to win. Mm. And it's quite possible that they will get through with the reserve side. But yeah, well, we'll, we'll hear well, more about that. I mean, it should be said, Klopp's explanation is um, that when they were told about the winter break last April, they were told that the, the clubs were banned from organising any friendlies or extra matches. Mm. And his point is that they respected that, but this replay is being put in the period that they were told was their winter break. So why should they be therefore be expected to play games when they were banned from arranging any other matches? Which is a fair point, but I don't see why the way of taking that up is to effectively throw your toys out the pram. It's a fair point, but it's an extreme reaction. It also doesn't show much respect from him to the players who will be playing in the game. Surely they want to be managed by the first team manager of Liverpool. Seems Mm. very, very strange to me. I I do think that 
that it's farcical that the FA has arranged for an FA Cup replay schedule to be put in the middle of what is meant to be a winter break. That seems nonsensical. You can't arrange a winter break and then say, oh, actually, caveat, then you might actually have a game, but you won't know until five or six days before. That seems like stupidity to me. But. You definitely got sympathy for the, for the situation that Liverpool and Southampton and Spurs and everybody else find themselves in, but yeah, the manager needs to turn up for a first-team game unless the first team are playing another game on another continent. I'd quite like the first team to turn up as well. <laughs> um, slightly sour into uh, that particular discussion, but up next, we can cheer ourselves up with a fat 6-0 win for Man United. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack from the greatest trio since the Bee Gees. Ha, 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 ha. From the Horse's Mouth, from the Horse's Mouth. Ha, ha, yeah. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. I think a lot of people on Sunday might have expected the big upset to come not in the Liverpool game, but at Tranmere Rovers with Man United coming to town. Tranmere had recently upset, just this Thursday indeed, Watford in their third round replay and also had a pitch that looked destined to cause all sorts of problems to the beleaguered Red Devils, but didn't prove that way. Whenever a, a small team or a sm- even a smaller Premier League team plays a, a giant, one of the big six, um, there's a suspicion to criticise them for being really dour and defensive. This is what happens when a team tries to press a very good team. And Manchester United are a very good team in comparison to Tranmere. Um but without being used to do it because they were just pressing in kind of ones and twos at most twos. And Manchester United were just passing through them and they had so much space in the Tranmere half. They didn't play badly Tranmere, but if if you try and just press up the pitch without any sort of coherent plan rather than sitting deep and trying to soak up pressure, you can lose by fours, fives and sixes at home or away. And right. yeah, sadly, that's what happened. The goals coming early and coming in, in, in large quantities. 6-0, the, the final scoreline. 5-0 already by the end of the first half. Mm. Tranmere are in the relegation zone in League One. That, that, that's the, the thing that needs to be said in this. It, it, you know, Watford had a stinker to draw 3-3 and, and then lose them, albeit with their reserves on, on Thursday night. And I would imagine that playing on that pitch regularly as the Tranmere players do is quite energy sapping. So it, it's it's a good win for Man United. It's always good to win 6-0, but mm. you know they, it, they were playing extremely moderate opposition. Right. Nice for their supporters to have a pleasant afternoon <laughs> yeah. for once, but not too many conclusions to draw from that. Not least because last season Tranmere lost 7-0 at home to, to Spurs uh, mm. in the third round. So, you know... This happens. In the game that Maurizio Bochettino bought Harry Kane off the bench so the Tranmere supporters could get to see him play, which was lovely. Oh, that's right. <laughs> very much very much Solskjaer doing the same with Phil Jones. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt mentioned it earlier, but Lingard's goal was really good. It reminded of his goal against Panama in the World Cup for England where he, one of the things that Lingard is good at is those shots where he sets the ball out and kills it back in. Deli Ali's really good at it as well. Um, that body shape on those shots is great and that's what he does. But if you're given two or three seconds to, to shoot, it becomes a training exercise, effectively. It seemed, it seemed to be that Tramway had decided they were going to pack players in their 18-yard box and were sort of happy for United to have the ball on the edge of the box. And so United did what you would expect players at that level to do and just started shooting at them. And though it's slightly unfortunate that a couple of the goals... 
Maguire's goal, the Anthony Martial goal took slight deflections. But yeah, you, you can't expect to get away with it if you're allowing players like that shots at goal from that sort of distance. So short of them dropping down two divisions, it doesn't necessarily offer Man United a blueprint for success in the, in the future. However, the sight of Maguire getting his first United goal, uh, Diogo Dallo with his first goal for United, and Jesse Lingard with more or less his first goal is kind of... <laughs> Uh, and, and you know even Phil Jones Martial, it's just a, it presumably it's going to have a massive impact on their morale which they're probably going to need because oh my word they've got uh, Man City up next haven't they yeah I mean it's not going to appease any Man United fans and if the chants that were uh, aired throughout the game at Tramway were anything to go by it's going to take more than a, a 6-0 win over 30 or opposition for them to stop having a pop at Ed Woodward and the Glazers at every available opportunity but yeah I mean given that United went into that game off the back of that the defeat at, at Liverpool and then that absolutely wretched 2-0 home defeat against Burnley it, it will you know it will help draw a line beneath that but I, I wouldn't have thought it's going to have much of a material impact on the game against City in midweek. Right. It is kind of symptomatic of United's season in that he, you know, every time you think Solskjaer's come under so much pressure that they're going to have to sack him or at least have some conversations with Maurizio Pochettino, something comes up like this and they keep sort of ambling along and he stays in his job and they stay fifth in the league. It's a really weird thing whereby they're using all positive evidence as you know, reliable and they're dismissing all negative evidence as unreliable, which is a remarkable way to run a football club. Mm. Still, I imagine Pep Guardiola would have been watching this thinking, I'd better put out a really first choice team on Wednesday for the uh, the second leg of that League Cup semi-finals. 3-1 up, of course, from the, uh, the previous clash at uh, Old Trafford. Any thoughts on this game in particular? Is it going to be plain sailing? I think, I think it will be plain sailing. I think, I think Guardiola will almost pick the same team again as he picked in the FA Cup, mm. probably with a, a couple more players in, but the likes of Foden and Mares started and Gabriel Jesus played. I suspect they'll all play again. And um, yeah, they, they should, the tie should be far beyond Manchester United already. Obviously, City went 3-0 up and hugely took their foot off the gas and allowed Manchester United slightly into the tie, but not enough to make anyone think that they're going to overturn it, I don't think. Mm. City with a fat win earlier on on Sunday, 4-0. 4-0, yeah, after a dreadful, dreadful decision from Fulham defender Tim Ream right at the start of the game to bring down Jesus, obvious red card, penalty. Uh, his manager, Scott Parker, didn't even look in his direction as uh, as Ream made his exit. And and I was really wound up by this for some reason. Uh, I, I just You feel for the sort of Fulham supporters who make that trip and somebody does something really boneheaded immediately and it's game over. It seemed an odd game for TV selection anyway. But uh, you could almost hear the sound of remotes being picked up and channels being changed as soon as that goal went in because, you know, one nil up against ten men, the outcome of the game was decided with fewer than ten minutes played. Yeah. Indeed, the uh, the odds on uh, Manchester City scoring five goals went. I think they were like they were shorter than one to two as soon as that red card had been given. So it was. It was so emphatically. I agree with Matt. I've got no idea. I know that the 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 fourth round draw wasn't exactly inspiring, but I have no idea why someone considered that game over, let's say, Southampton Tottenham. That was at least an all Premier League game or with West Ham West Brom. Exactly. Yeah. I've got no idea why they chose that one. All right, we'll talk about West Ham West Brom and eventually Southampton Spurs. But first, this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Prior to Shrewsbury forcing Liverpool to a replay, 
Daniel, you were touting West Brom's 1-0 win at the London Stadium as the biggest kind of upset story of the weekend. Well, the biggest the biggest win upset. I'm not mm. sure it was the biggest surprise. I think that was probably Oxford getting a draw at Newcastle. But yeah, Limbaugh the biggest confirmation of a uh, of an upset. But if you know, it sounds like one of those quasi-philosophical questions. If you beat West Ham at the moment, can it ever be an upset? Because they are a club that is almost approaching the mutiny of of March 2018 when they had the pitch invasions right. against Burnley and the you know the director's box was being swarmed by angry home fans we're not far off that okay well, it was a west brom side that is in the championship that hasn't won a league game since mid december that had because of their problems with the league rested most of the first team for this game i think there were eight changes made by slavin bilic who above all was returning to the London Stadium, the club where he'd been fired in 2017 and replaced by David Moyes. So a sweet, sweet result for him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thoroughly deserved as well from, from the highlights I saw. Austin and Kravinovic both had great chances to make it 2-0. David Moyes made a triple substitution at half-time, said he would have made five if he could. Moyes has now made uh, uh, the, the Premier League game on Wednesday at Leicester. He's now made five... He had made five half-time substitutions in four days, which... I mean, I mean, I'm all for a manager's taking decisive action, but at some point, if you want to make five changes at half time, probably worth getting the team right <laughs> before you start. It doesn't say much for his team talks if he's then trying to take off half the team at half time. Even with that it? triple substitution, it wasn't until the 89th minute that they finally had a shot on target. <laughs> and and, 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 and this was a pot shot from about 25 yards out. And they were playing and, against 10 men for And they were playing minutes. against 10 men. So this is. Pretty, ab- I mean, fantastic for West Brom. And we should mention, by the way, Connor Townsend's goal, which, I mean, it, it, it's very much in the conversation for the finest ones of the weekend. I thought it was lovely. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, great for them, great for their, their many travelling fans. But West Ham, so what's going on there? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a club which has been run pretty poorly, it would seem. I mean, Benji certainly didn't seem that happy last week when we were talking about the 10-year the anniversary you'd think this could have offered them some sort of salvation you can say oh well you know we focus on the league but they've got a crucial game against Brighton at home coming up which has got all the hallmarks to me of a 3-0 away win yeah before that that, though before that they play Liverpool after that they play Manchester City uh, and yeah hmm, not looking great for them is it Mm. it's it's they're they're basically a, a budget version of Manchester United in that they they spend a lot of money and make these promises about being a very well-meaning owners but if you haven't got any obvious leadership to take the club forward sustainably you can't then act surprised when everything goes very very stale on the mm. pitch you know, they, they spent 100 million pounds the summer before last I think they spent 60 million pounds at least this summer on attacking players but they're constantly taking one step forward and another one back. They obviously sacked David Moyes um, because they wanted to move on and then considering the right answer it's as I say, I think it's pretty close to outright mutiny. Right, And, and even if they brought somebody in this week, you look at Sebastian Allaire, he looked like a world beater in the Bundesliga last season and he looks like a donkey in the Premier League. And, and you've got to think that's something to do with the way the team's set up and the way they're being coached. Highlight of the afternoon for the home fans was very much the, the mascot race at half-time where the Hammerhead, the West Ham representative, <laughs> uh, took on Boilerman of the Baggies. Boilerman, who we previously talked about, as yeah, one of the had a massive disadvantage. I mean, he was never going to win, was he? He'd right, not got any flexibility that it was as or one-sided eyes. as it was, though. Really? Yeah. Given that boiler, okay, boiler man, his, his upper half is a is boiler. a representative of a boiler, but his yeah. legs are human legs. 
So I don't feel yeah, like he was giving that much there's away. There's no gate though, is there? With the with the the, the length that the boiler suit goes down and to. away from home as well. <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. True. I feel true. like probably is he is he not are his arms outside of the boiler or not? His arms just. are out. Oh, they just. are. Okay. They Probably from flex, about from about the elbow. But yeah, Hammerhead couldn't was, was almost Usain Bolt esque. He was very athletic. He wanted mm. it more. He just wanted it more. Mm. Well, was looking up anyway. I wondered. The... I mean, I don't want to cast any aspersions, but I wonder if they'd had a word in Boilermakers and said, "Look, you're winning the football, mm. so maybe the crowd needs something to really get them going and fall in love with the club again. So maybe let him win this." All right. Uh, among the other highlights of this weekend was Matt's journey to Hull. How long did that take, Matt? Six and a half hours there, four back. Uh, there's nothing worse than people who work in football complaining about working in football. But yeah, it did take a long time. It was, right. it was good fun. Once I, I got I, there, I though. suppose you want to talk about that game. I, it, it Chelsea 2-0 up and then they let Hull back into it. But was Frank Lampard's post-game quasi-outburst the most interesting thing? Supposedly. I mean, I re- I, the game was good and, and part of the reason for that was that the stadium was sold out, which is not mm. something that we've been used to in the FA Cup this season. And also, Grant McCann picked his, the best team available to him. He would have started Kamil Krasicki had he been fully fit, but he came off the bench and, and impacted the game. So that was a huge help. Chelsea played a fairly strong team too. But yeah, I was surprised when I'd heard about the Lampard. I don't think, I don't think, I think an outburst might be a little bit strong, but he'd done that before I interviewed him and he came bounding up to me and shook me warmly by the hand and I asked him something about transfers and and he said yeah if we can try and get somebody in we'll do it but we're hamstrung by the fact that we'd had this this ban which has only just been overturned and then I read the transcript of what he'd said on BT and it was a a bit more forceful which is interesting uh, we got a punishment in the summer and it is meant to hurt you we lost one of the biggest players in our history in Eden Hazard that is the situation but but he he kind of declaimed all of that with a lot more edge Mm. Yeah, I think part of it might... Is something going to happen in this last week? I, th- I think that he wants something to happen, certainly. Yeah. But but I think his focus will have been sharpened in this game because Ross Barkley didn't play very well. Pedro looked like a player who is destined for MLS. Other people came in and didn't Bancho do... Batshuayi scored, though. Yeah, Batshuayi scored, but that's the first time he scored since October. So he's well, not... He never plays, does he? He comes off the bench in pretty much every Premier League game. He's, oh, he's had he enough okay. opportunity to score between October and the middle of January, certainly. Um, I'm, but I read he boasts a goal every 92 minutes for Chelsea. That's really good. Well, the stat I saw that I found surprising was that he's only started four Premier League games or something since he arrived in 2016. OK, he's been out on loan in that period, yeah. but pretty remarkable when you consider how long he's been at the club. Uh, but sadly, when he is given opportunities, uh, as we saw in that cup game against Forest in the third round, he tends not to take them. Right. And with Abraham being out now for... I, th- a, I think that Abraham will be back much sooner than expected, oh, okay. maybe even as quickly as Saturday against Leicester. There is a reason for Lampard to, to try and manage expectations by referring to Eden Hazard. I think it would be surprising with Chelsea. I think that's... 14 points in the last 12 league games there's a reason for Lampard to say hang on a minute yes I'm a new manager with this mandate for youth but remember I've lost arguably the best player in the Premier League mm. last season and the best player in, in the previous season. yeah it's, exactly it's a big loss mm, fair enough alright more FA Cup drama after this you're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power Gregor Shearer writes in Jimbo Love to hear you and the panel's view on Gary Lineker's suggestion that replays in the FA Cup are from a bygone age and instead games should go straight to penalties. Big fan, thanks. Mm. Thank you, Gregor. Uh, Yes, Gary Lineker, not the only person, but uh, certainly amongst those suggesting that it's time to bin off replays. And many managers, Carl Robinson, for example, of Oxford United, uh, seem to be very much in the same camp. 
Your yeah. thoughts, Daniel? Yeah, I think it feels as if something will happen now. It oh. isn't just the big club manager saying it's everyone. I hope that the FA kind of try and do it on their own terms. I think if you're going to get rid of replays and they need to change how the finances work of the original ties, so whether it's all ticket revenue going to the lower club, whether it's the lower club being able to choose to switch the game to an away game rather than a home game to get more ticket revenue if they want, something like that needs to happen with it because otherwise it's just pandering to the biggest clubs, I think. Mm. And and it feels like they, they try to make a concession to the smaller clubs by having replay scrapped from the fifth round onwards in thinking there aren't going to be many League One and League Two clubs at that stage of the competition. But the problem that I've had with the FA Cup from last season and this is that there it, there's not a uniform set of rules to it. So you get VAR at some grounds and not others. You get replays in some rounds and not others. And that, for me, is discrediting the competition slightly. So if we are going to do a, mm. away with replay, plays let's do it from the preliminary rounds all the way through to the final not yeah. okay at the fifth round then we for some reason scrap replays yeah the other the other thing we should say is that Lineker was talking about um well, he tweeted to say that he thinks replays should be scrapped after I think after the third round but then in the coverage of Shrewsbury Liverpool in which Shrewsbury got a replay and will go to Anfield he was talking about to, to Shrewsbury manager Sam Ricketts and saying, oh, it's brilliant that your players get to go to Anfield. To play. You kind of can't have it both ways. You can't pick and choose when you have your replays. Um, and as I think we said uh, on, I think it was Duncan said last Thursday, if everyone that loved the FA Cup said how much they loved it rather than saying how much it was broken, we'd all kind of feel better about it. It does become slightly self-fulfilling that Let's every time move it happens. on then. All right. Okay. Uh, Oxford added again. Uh, another U-turn, if you will, this time taking Newcastle to a replay. It's incredible. We played three Premier League teams this season and only one of them has beaten us, Man City, says manager Carl Robinson. Yeah, uh, Carl Robinson is um, a kind of divisive figure in football. There's a feeling that Carl Robinson's biggest fan is Carl Robinson. Uh, but we had him on the Totally Football League show on the phone the day after they'd wallop West Ham. I mean, they really beat them soundly in the so League Cup. So this was earlier in the uh, in the League Cup? Yeah, yeah. 4-1 this they season. beat them at home this mm. season. Yeah, and uh, and he spoke brilliantly to us. I, and I really enjoyed his interviews post-match yesterday. I don't necessarily agree with what he said about replays, but he, he put forward his points very well. And, and this is a guy who's not even 40 yet, you know, and he's had a couple of setbacks in his managerial career. He's been sacked already, but he's assembled an excellent squad at Oxford. They've got big players out injured at the moment, but he's used his contacts to get good young players on loan from from Premier League teams. The, the style of football they play is not what you would typically associate with a League One team. Um, he's now got nine games to negotiate in February, which is which is quite a lot of points outside the playoffs. Uh, but they had chances to win this game as well later on. I mean, Newcastle had two goals ruled out correctly. Mm. So, um, But Oxford will give Newcastle another good game in the replay. You wouldn't be surprised if they, if they won it. As you say, two goals disallowed. Uh, also, Sam Maximan not at his best. Looney Tune tweeting, this is the worst game I've seen from Alan Sam Maximan yet. To which Alan Sam Maximan, who's nothing if not socially media active, immediately replied, I'm not going to lie, that's true. It's my worst game so far. I'm going to work even harder to be more in shape. Thank you for the support. He's, he's magnificent, isn't he? Yeah, and I think the, the fact that he is so uh, willing to interact with fans on social media has only endeared him to Newcastle supporters even more. I mean, we suspected even before he'd played his first game, he was the sort of player that would be popular at St James's Park because he is the kind of player traditionally the club's fans have enjoyed watching. Um, and I, I think he's I think he's decided to go about the way he interacts with the fans in a really genuine way. And clearly when you're playing well, it's quite easy to be retweeting praise or replying to people. So 
fair play to him for you know sticking his neck out and admitting that he was a bit below par. Stepping it's, up, yeah. There's also a really nice story. I think three days after he joined the club, he he went down to the food bank. I think it's called the North End Food Bank in Newcastle, and was kind of expect. Well, it was a surprise that he went, but he was also expected to stay for about ten minutes and do a couple of clever photos, and apparently stayed for hours and hours and hours and just kind of chatted to everyone that came down and the word went around the local area that he was there and stuff so as tom says although it's very clever social media pr it's not all manufactured there is a, a genuine honesty and a, an openness there for me okay uh, meantime a lot of the uh, buzz around st james is that mm. the next few days might and stop me if you've heard this one before might see a successful takeover bid for the club and this was in the financial times so you know yeah, started in the in the wall street journal now the financial times are saying could be done the next few days newcastle fans will say we have been bitten so many times by mike astley that we will be shy forever until we're finally waving him goodbye but mm. and they are right to stay dubious um but it does feel like this one's got more got further down the road than some of the nonsensical ones. £350 million from the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia for a little bit of uh, sport washing. Yeah, yeah, and what a delightful prospect mm. that is. Um, it should so- be said that's the figure that Mike Ashley rejected last time because he ah. said he wanted more. So it could be a case of them saying, do you want £350 million now because the price hasn't changed from our end? So on and so forth. We will see. We will see. Okay, let's talk about some more FA Cup stories in the meantime. Portsmouth beating Barnsley 4-2. Barnsley, of course, from the Championship, but only 10 places above them because they've been struggling a bit. Meanwhile, Millwall, who we bigged up on Thursday as being potentially causing another upset, did no such thing and got beaten 2-0 at home by Sheffield United. Maybe Millwall with one eye on Tuesday's fixtures because, yeah, they're away at Leeds, but mm. four round of games in in the Championship, um, big night. But Sheffield United just continue to be one of the stories of the season, don't they? Interesting to see how far they can get. Uh, Mo Besic with a goal player whose career's really hit the skids in the last couple of years, but lovely goal just as he was about to be subbed off. Cue humorous comment from Chris Wilder afterwards, denying any knowledge that he was about to sub him off. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Saints and Spurs will have a replay. Uh, Sun opening the scoring there at St Mary's. Buffalo with the equaliser late on. A lot of Spurs fans happy with the progress of Lo Celso. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we've not seen that much of Lo Celso because he didn't play all that much initially uh, when he first came in and then Mourinho was kind of eased him into the team. But I was there uh, at... Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the replay against Middlesbrough in the previous round where he came into the team and, and was really impressive. And he's, he's playing in this deep-lying midfield role where he previously played at PSG and was, was quite disappointing during his time there. But yeah, it looks to be just the sort of thing that Tottenham needs, someone who can play in that area of the pitch but who's got a bit of dynamism about him. Tongi and Dombelli was supposed to bring that to the team, has had various injury problems and has been sort of, you know, called out a few times by Mourinho. But yeah, the Celso, we, we saw what he can bring to that position with that run for the first goal, which was fantastic. You know, picks the ball up midway inside his own half, spins away from James Ward-Prowse, drives past a couple of challenges, helps it on to Eric Lamella, who, who finds Son Heung-Min. Uh, right. And they, they do look like they've got a lot more about them, Spurs, when they've got Lo Celso in that position. Which position do you think he specifically will have in Mourinho's plans? I quite like him in that position, just in front of the back four as part of a two with another slightly more defensive-minded player alongside him, because I think you can play him further forward. Uh, I think when he, you know, when he was sort of coming through 
Um, earlier in his career, he was played as a classic number 10, as, as most Argentinian midfielders of, of his type are. Um, but I think he's got that combination of footwork and, and vision uh, and, and bravery in his passing that he can play a little bit further back. And I think given that, that Jose Mourinho teams traditionally struggle when it comes to attacking fluency, I think having a player who's that creative playing as far back as he has been playing is, you know, potentially something that's really going to help them get onto the front foot when they do go forward. It's also clever from Lo Celso to market himself as that because Deli Ali will see himself as the kind of number 10 playing off Harry Kane when Kane is fit next season. So it makes sense for him to market himself against, let's say, Harry Winks or... Uh, and Dombele rather than Ali, I'd suggest. Mm. Although there is a vacancy a little bit further upfield. Now, with the departure of Christian Eriksen mm. for Inter, Eriksen's move will mean that of the seven players Spurs signed with the Gareth Bale money in the summer of 2013, only one remains. Mm, Eric Lamella, yes. Yeah. Can you name the other six? Uh, if it's all that, that photo has been doing the rounds quite frequently, mm. but it's Paulinho. Yep. Lamella, yep. Ericsson. Yep. Vlad Chuiches. Nice. Yes, yep. he's like the random outlier. Yes. Nasser Chadli, Etienne Capoue, and Roberto Soldado. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Gentlemen yeah. all. Yeah. All right then. So they'll get a replay. What is that going to be on February the 5th as well? Matt, is it? That's the date for In and yeah, around. 4th and 5th, yeah. 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 Okay, good. Excellent. Excellent. We're going to talk about a little bit more about what's coming up this midweek. Tom's trip to Bournemouth, will that get on the agenda? We'll see. But certainly a bit of Aston Villa-Leicester and maybe we'll look again at West Ham-Liverpool. Presume Klopp's turning up for that one. First of all, though, this important news. Listeners, it's craft beer o'clock. Yep, our friends at Beer 52 want to give you out there in Podland a case of delicious cold ones. Now, typically, Beer 52 put eight beers in these cases, but for no other reason than the fact you listen to the Totally Football Show, they're going to chuck in another two bottles. So that's ten beers for free. All you pay is £4.95 for next day shipping. Beer 52 are beer pioneers, working with small batch breweries from all over the world to bring you hoppy IPAs, hazy pale ales and silky stouts from places like the Czech Republic, New Zealand, Korea and even here in the UK and Ireland. There's no minimum commitment with Beer 52. If you want, you can just take this free case, try the beers and if you decide it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. It's entirely up to you. So head to beer52.com slash football and claim your free case of craft beer right now. That's the word beer and the number 52.com slash football. What are you waiting for? You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. A broad range of FA Cup talking points from the weekend, amongst them the fact that Coventry will now have to make the uh, trip to Birmingham City for their replay. Uh, ha, ha, ha. And uh, also well done Norwich, who got that win at Burnley. Uh, but I want to talk about the League Cup semis now, because they're uh, looming on the horizon. Man United uh, travelling to Man City. That's on Wednesday. And 3-1 down. Talked about that game a little bit. No Marcus Rashford who, of course, was key when uh, United won 2-1 there, you remember, back in the, the league on, at the start of December. So, yeah, this one looking like a tricky game for United, but buoyed, of course, by that whopping win at Tranmere. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, the other side of the draw, Villa taking on Leicester. 
Daniel, you were at the first leg between these two, that 1-1 at the King Power. Yeah, in which Leicester were extremely sloppy with uh, Jamie Vardy and the team. It remains to be seen whether he'll be fit uh, for the second leg. Rod- Brendan Rodgers was um, reasonably confident, which is a surprise given that obviously Vardy went off feeling his hamstring uh, only in the no, week. No, it was his glute. With his glute, my yeah, apologies. Yeah, it was his glute. That's uh, the I was watching from the stand, so I couldn't quite tell where he was holding. Mm. Um but uh, it should be said, Kelechi Inacio has done a fine job in the 150-odd minutes since because uh, he created the game-clinching goal against West Ham last week with a dribble and he scored the excellent or finished an excellent move. Uh, Dennis Pratt with a wonderful 50-yard mm. through ball. James Justin, uh, who talked after the game about learning off our, our friend Ricardo Pereira. Um, he crossed the ball in and Ianacho finished and yeah seven goals in 12 games for Ianacho and it, I wrote in, in, in the 16 conclusions piece I did it must be very hard to be such an emphatic reserve striker when the person ahead of you is an absolute figurehead and a cult hero and a superstar for the club so fair play to him for kind of mucking in because it would be very easy for him to let that career drift uh, he's still only 23 I think Ianacho so yeah, if he gets a chance, I actually I would I would actually like Vardy not to be fit and see if Ianacho can do it and kind of take them to Wembley. Right. He played really well at Villa Park in the league. Uh, I think that was in December when when Leicester won their handsomely too. He was arguably man of the match in that game. Samata potentially making his debut up front for Aston Villa meantime, which mm. could be interesting to see uh, how that impacts on the game. Uh, meantime, Brendan Rodgers with that remarkable record in domestic cup competitions, he hasn't lost. A domestic cup game now in five years? Yes, that's right. It's, it's strange because if Leicester hadn't won the league in 2016, he could be on course for one of the best seasons in the club's history. But, you know, even if he won both cups and got in the top four, it wouldn't be. They do talk about that at Leicester. As that, that's kind of their, within their squad, as that's their treble this season. You know, top four, League Cup, FA Cup. They're going for what they're calling the treble. And, you know, it would be a remarkable achievement Aside from what happened in 2015-16, it would be a remarkable achievement if he managed to do it. Well, he's got Villa first and then one of the Manchester sides in the final if they make it that far. Any chance, do you think, we've seen Liverpool, you were at Liverpool's game against Wolves last weekend. I'm just thinking about their clash with West Ham. I think that's on Wednesday as well, isn't it? Yes. Uh, And that's at the London Stadium? At the London Stadium, yes. I mean, yeah, uh, really enjoyable evening at Molyneux uh, last Thursday. Um, Wolves had a real go, uh, fantastic atmosphere, sort of misty weather, all the apparent ingredients for... looming out of that fog... Adama Traore, yeah. who was absolutely sensational. Um, West Ham do not possess an Adama Traore, nor do they possess... Is Mikel Antonio the nearest thing? It probably is. I feel it would be unfair to compare him to Traore because okay. they are, you know, they, they do they do offer quite different things. But yeah, you know, West Ham West Ham are, are not a patch on, on Wolves. So I, of those two fixtures, the Wolves game was always going to be the, the trickiest one for Liverpool. That They managed to get through and win the game, having been up against it for as long as they did just was further evidence of their resilience and I I would expect given that the um the big guns have had a week's rest having not been uh, involved today until you know the last half an hour or so for those that came on uh, I wouldn't have thought they'll have any trouble against West Ham all right we'll talk a little bit about some of the delights that have taken place uh, around the continent and what's coming up midweek in the championship uh, first of all though let's hear from Paddy Bar Hello listeners, no finer way to start your Monday morning than hearing from Lee Price from Paddy Power. Mmm, Lee, what a weekend it was in the FA Cup. What have those results done for the overall winners of the trophy? 
Ah, the magic of the FA Cup. What could be more romantic than the top of the betting market reflecting the top of the Premier League table? As the Big Six and Leicester, they're going to have to think of a snappy name for that cohort, lead the betting to win the FA Cup. City are the favourites at 7-4, to four, narrowly ahead of Liverpool at 10-3. to three. And then you've got quite a big gap back to Chelsea at 9-1, to one, Tottenham at 10-1, to one, Arsenal 11 to 11-1, while United and Leicester are both 12-1. to one. But of course, this is recorded before the draw, not letting any secrets out there, and that could shake things up fairly dramatically. As could a Shrewsbury win in that replay at Anfield. Although you will notice Liverpool remain our second favourites in the outright market because they are the best team in the country. All right, Lee, on to the in no way secondary cup competition in English domestic football. Aston Villa are hosting Leicester City 1-1 from the first leg. Who's going to come out top in this one? Hmm, evenly poised and perhaps not as obvious to call as you would have expected immediately after the first leg, as the crew have just discussed in the studio. But we do still make Leicester the favourites here. They're 4-6 to six to win the game in 90 minutes. Villa are 10-3 to, to do so. While it's 3-1, to one, we're still all level at the end of normal time. Or you can bet on either team to qualify regardless of the connotations, of course. Leicester are 4-11 to do so, with Brendan Rodgers going for his fourth consecutive League Cup title, while Aston Villa are 21-10 to to reach the final. And on Wednesday, Lee, Man City at home to Man United. City with a 3-1 lead from that first leg in which United were pretty awful. Is there any way that United can overturn this? <laughs> well, they did score six on Sunday, and that's not something I've expected to say about United for a long time. In fact, any point since Fergie left. But unsurprisingly, we're not hot on their chances of going through here. They're a pretty damning 40-1 to 1 to qualify for the final, with City 1-250 to 250 to do so. As for the match as a one-off event, City are 2-7 to 7 to win on the night. United are 15-2 to 2 to do so, with the draw 9-2. to 2. United need goals, obviously, but it's 14-1 to 1 they score three or more. The same bet for City is priced at evens. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. It's been a busy weekend around the continent. Of course, we'll round up all the big stories in Tuesday's early morning edition of the Totally Football Show. Big stories like Atalanta going to Turin and destroying Torino 7-0. Ilicic. One of them from the halfway line, an absolute delight. Check it out, and then we'll get the thoughts of James Horncastle and more on Tuesday. We'll have Raphael Honigstein talking about the Bundesliga, where Erling Haaland shows little sign of slowing down. He came up with a brace, which admittedly is slowing down a bit from the hat-trick in his first (laughs) one, but uh, still, he's uh, only had 57 minutes of Bundesliga action so far for Borussia Dortmund, and he's already got five league goals. Incredible. There's also Rome Derby news. We'll be covering that, the extraordinary... Um, yeah, the Paolo Lopez business uh, the fact that Barcelona lost and uh, any ramifications from that Leipzig losing as well and hello, what's this? In the Eredivisie Alan Pardew and Chris Powell the Ghostbusters uh, you recall they kicked off their uh, time in charge of Den Haag with a 2-0 win Friday night though a particularly frightening a 4-0 defeat at the hands of Utrecht and speak of exotic football locales Rangers suffered their first away defeat of the season up in Scotland, losing to bottom-of-the-table hearts. You can hear more about that uh, in the Toady Scottish Football Show, which is also out first thing on Tuesday. So you're spoiled for choice, really. Uh, Wednesday, meantime, for your listening pleasure, we offer the Toady Football League show. Matt, who's hosting that this week? It's going to be me, yeah, and really looking forward to it because we've got a pretty much a full round of action across... 
the Championship League One and League Two on Tuesday night. So it's going to be kind of box fresh reaction to the big games, which include Leeds against Millwall. Brentford v Forest is the one that obviously I've got my eye on. Both teams looking to put some pressure on Leeds and West Brom, the top two. Uh, but also in League One, we've got the top two playing each other, Rotherham versus Ipswich. So loads of big games, which we shall be reacting to. That'll be out Wednesday tea time. Super. Nominative Determinism's Vitality Stadium will be hosting Bournemouth Arsenal in the uh, finale of the FA Cup fourth round, not including those replays. Tom, you're going down there. Yeah, first trip to the Vitality. Whatever. Um, Ever, ever, ever. I don't think I've ever even been to Bournemouth. I don't no, think I've been to Bournemouth. Have you been to Bournemouth, man? Nope, never been to the um, Vitality. So looking forward to it for multiple reasons. Apparently yeah. the walk to the ground is quite pleasant. Is it? it takes you through a forest. But I actually, I think I'm probably going to go to my hotel and check in first, so maybe I won't do that. But anyway. And it's always going to be second to the walk to the ground to Fulham, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, which is, which, I don't know, this which is through a forest. Be, can't be beat. Yeah, but along the Thames, Bishops. for an evening kickoff, Fulham. Mm. Oh. Right. Magnificent. Uh, interestingly, uh, Arsenal played at Bournemouth in Mikel Arteta's first game in charge, so it would be quite a useful um, staging post to see how they've developed. In what the, happened that time? They drew one all. Ooh. And I think what we've seen uh, from Arsenal under Arteta is they seem to have a bit more steel about them. Um, you know, Most recently, that backs against the wall 2-2 draw with 10 men uh, at Chelsea. Um, and yet, how many wins have they actually had in his... Two in seven games. Two in, in all seven. Competitions. They ought to win this quite handily, though, because you'd imagine they'd pick a strong team and Bournemouth certainly won't. Yeah, but having said that, Bournemouth had that, that 3-1 win over Brighton last time out, which felt like almost the first time we've seen the old Bournemouth, if you like, if not all season and certainly for a few months they're on a six game winless run since then so you know you'd think they'll go into the game with a bit more buoyancy but yeah as ever with with the FA Cup it's so dependent on on what sort of teams get put out so yeah that's where I'll be Monday night alright well hope it's an exciting one we'll have the reaction to that and all the midweek games of course when we return in Thursday's edition of the Totally Football Show that though for now is where we'll wrap up today's one Hope you've enjoyed it, listener. Thanks for being with us. Time for Matt Davis-Adams and Tom Williams and Daniel Story to clear off. Goodbye. 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 Excellent. Have a great week, listener. We'll catch you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too thetotallyfootballshow.com Hello, I'm Andrew Slavin, host of the Totally Scottish Football Show and if you like football, you're gonna love Scottish football it's not all just Stevie G and Scott Brown up here no, because we talk about all of the Scottish football and geez, oh it's great There's actually a title race this year in the Premiership. Stevie G will be hoping not to slip up again. Hearts are tearing each other a new one. Motherwell are doing, well, well, they're doing well. So if you like your football to be competitive, have a title race and a ton of drama off and on the pitch, the Totally Scottish Football Show is most definitely for you. Grab Scottish football by the boys, just like Ryan Christie did, and listen to the Totally Scottish Football Show, available everywhere, even in England. Marini's Media.